We've been going through the book of Genesis, and we're going to continue on that. Um, <laughs> sadly, if you know me, you know I make a big deal of this book. Um, this book has consumed, when I say this book, I don't mean just the Bible, I mean the book of Genesis, has consumed a lot of my study um, over the years because I'm a science guy. And that's what I do throughout the week. I teach science for a job. And there are a lot of assumptions and there are a lot of um, assertions that are made in Genesis. Now, I will say this. I think the book of Genesis, uh, because it's so important doctrinally, is one of the few books that if you get the book of Genesis right, you get a lot of other stuff right as well. Every major doctrine in the Bible finds its beginning in the book of Genesis. That's quite something. Soteriology, whether that's creation, uh, anthropology, the doctrine of man, right? Whether soteriology, uh, the doctrine of salvation, uh, hermartiology, doctrine of sin, all of that finds its roots in Genesis, and particularly the first 11 chapters. So um, I have determined that it, for 11 times when I preach, we're going to go through this, and we're going to hammer out some of this stuff. Um, so... If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 5, this could be interesting. The reason this could be interesting is the Bible that I've, I use to study all week is my study Bible. The Bible I'm preaching out of is not the same. So the stuff's not found in the same place uh, on the same pages, but it's the same words. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, I am not going to read through the entirety of chapter 5. You'll notice why. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he named them man. Some uh, translations will say he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Chip off the old block, look just like Adam. After his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. That is a long lifespan. And Seth lived 105 years, and he fathered Enosh. Right? And that's, it, this book goes on, this, this chapter basically goes on to give the lineage of Adam, right? And it brings us all the way down to Noah. And I'm not going to go through every one of those, but I do want you to see one of them in particular. Get down there to verse 21. There's a man named Enoch, and he is important to our study today. It says this, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. You could have a lot of sons and daughters in 300 years, couldn't you? I mean, my wife and I have had three kids in the last, what, three and a half years? I mean, you know, a track record like that for three or 400 years, you have a lot of kids. Just... Just saying. <laughs> You'd also have to be farming. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, it says this, Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. That's interesting. Enoch's one of only two men in Scripture in the Old Testament not to die. Who's the other one? Got taken up in a whirlwind. Everybody's like whispering, Elijah, yeah. So there are a lot of theologians who believe that the book of Revelation talks about the two witnesses in the end times, and there are some who believe that's going to be Enoch and Elijah. Why? 
because they're the only ones that have never died, and the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That might be. I mean, it makes sense, but I don't think it's... I, it's not something that's important enough I'm going to dogmatize on it. Let's put it that way. But it is interesting to think of. Here's why that's interesting, though. Enoch, or the sayings of Enoch, were written down into a book, the Book of Enoch. Have you heard of that? The Book of Enoch is not canonical. What is it? Anybody know? One of those big words you learn in seminary. Well, it's close. It's basically like the Old Testament version of the Apocrypha, right? Which is called uh, the pseudope- pseudopagraphia. Pseudopagraphia. Ooh, took me a bit. So these are the writings that basically were kept along with the Old Testament. They were important enough. They're kind of like keeping a set of Spurgeon around or a set of commentaries. Um, the Jews in the Old Testament kept them with the books of the law, the Torah. They didn't view them. Uh, as canonical, but they still viewed them as very important, kind of like having a history book, right? It may not be canonical, right? It may have a, a, a problem here or there that's not quite right, but it's still very important to have, okay? Um, and you're going to see that. The book of Enoch's actually quoted in the scriptures, so part of the book of Enoch obviously was inspired, but not the whole thing. That's why it's not part of our canon today. Jude quotes the book of Enoch. There's another book that's often quoted in the Old Testament, but it's actually not part of the canon. Anybody know? Starts with a J. Book of Jubilee, of Jubilees. That's also one of those that's a part of that section. So it's not canonical. I don't want to. I don't want you to think it is. It is not of the same level as Genesis or Exodus or anything like that. But it still has some very good information, and we're going to get into some of that today. Uh, okay. So Enoch walked with God and was taken, for he was no more. He fathered Methuselah. Methuselah lived 187 years before he fathered Lamech. I don't know when their first children were, um, but if you're 187 and you have your first kid, I don't know what they would think of us today. Man, that guy was 40 before he had kids. He was awfully young, you know. I, I was 36 when we had our first. He would be like such a young whippersnapper to be having kids. Methuselah, of course, was the longest uh, living man that we have a record of. Lived 969 years, and the year that he died, the flood came. It's kind of strange. If you, would, if you plot out how long these guys lived, it's very, very interesting to see. And the reason it's interesting to see is they had such long lifespans that you realize, holy smokes, you know, Noah could have actually talked to Adam. Why? Because Adam lived 930 years. When you live 930 years, you don't just see your kids and your grandkids, right? You see your great, 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 great grandkids. Um, Enoch would have known Adam. I've heard it said before, and this is this is speculation. I've heard it said before. There was a guy that a, a theologian said, "I wonder if Enoch talked to Adam, and Adam told Enoch about walking with God, and how wonderful it was before the fall." And Enoch said, "You know what? I want that." And he walked with God, and God took him because he was no more. You know what, boy? I love you. We walk together. That's it. You're not dying. I'm just taking you. Very interesting. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. All right, so let's get out of speculation. Let's go on to the Word of God. How about that? Skip down to verse 32. After Noah was 500 years, he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now we begin chapter 6, and it's going to get awfully interesting. And it's going to get awfully weird. And here's what it says. When men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any that they chose. 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These became the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And I'll wait for my mighty train. A lot of coal on that train. Every time I see coal, it reminds me of the flood. That's essentially what it was, living stuff that got buried and crushed and heated up and pressed down and made into coal. And you take that and keep pressing it and keep heating it and you make diamonds. It's kind of weird. By the way, we can make them in the lab today. Did you know that? We literally make diamonds without flaws in the lab today. It's pretty slick. It doesn't take millions of years. I'm throwing that out there. That's why I'm telling you that. It doesn't take millions of years. We can make them in the lab. It takes a few days. Lots of heat, lots of pressure. Crazy how that works. We can also make oil today. We can crush down a bunch of... In fact, there's a plant in Australia right now. They take turkey guts and chicken guts from some of the uh, processing meat processing plants and press it down and make oil. So pretty slick. We're going to talk about some of that because we're going to get into the flood. Okay. Here's what I want to start with, though. Here's the first misconception I want to clear up. Verse 3 says this. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. He's flesh. His days shall be 120 years. From this little piece, I have heard, in fact, I've read it in study Bibles. I read it in study Bible this week. I wanted to see if it was, how many study Bibles it was in. There's a few of them that have this note. You get down to the bottom, and in the study Bible it says, here's where God puts the cap on man's lifespan. A normal lifespan of people is going to be 120 years. And here's the problem. I have literally seen big fallout, or I mean a big argument one night at a home group. Because a person was talking about, hey, you know, there's this lady that just turned like 126. That's not true. Well, it says she she is. It's not true. God said no man will ever live a longer than 120 years. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, no way. Here we go. We're going to Genesis 6. I know we're going to Genesis 6. And that's exactly where we went. Yep, Genesis says God is not going to let people live longer than 120 years. This is the cap. right? So this is the assertion. The Bible says God's limited man's normal lifespan 120 years. That's not true. That's not true, and I'm going to show you that. We still have people today, every now and again, that will live longer than 120 years. That is a long, long life. It does not happen often, but it does still occasionally happen. And I don't believe that they fake their birth certificates when I see that. Okay? Here's why. That had nothing to do with the lifespan of man. If it did, we would not go on in Genesis later and find that people are living... 400 years, 239 years, 205. Abraham himself lived 175. You'll notice we don't even get to talking about Abraham until chapter 12. So obviously this had nothing to do with the normal lifespan of man. This was a countdown clock. When God says this, he says, I'm not going to strive with these people. Their days are 120 years. Their days are limited. I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood 120 years from now. And basically the very next passage, God goes and talks to Noah, right? He says, Noah, you're righteous. You better build a boat because everything's going. We're having a flood sale. Everything must go. If it doesn't go on the ark, it's going to die, right? No, not everything. Everything that breathes through its nostrils is going to die. All the people are going to die. All the Nephilim are going to die. The giants are going to die. Right? This place is going under. That was a countdown clock. had nothing to do with man's um, lifespan. Okay? 
Don't get sucked into that. I've actually had somebody assert that to me in an apologetics encounter. The Bible can't be true because it says that people can't live longer than 120 years. And we see people do that from time to time. And I said, I don't know where you got that. But the Bible does not say that. Yes, it does. Here's my Bible. Please show me where. Where, where is he going? See, Genesis says this. No, it does not. You've interpreted, you've interpreted it to mean that. But I can show you here in just a couple chapters, we still have people living longer than 120 years. Obviously, this does not mean that. Don't get sucked into that, okay? So, misconception number one. Number two. Verse four. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward. That is a big train. And also afterwards. I'm sorry, ADD. Squirrel. How anybody ever learns anything in any class I teach is miraculous and of God. All right. Uh, the Nephilim, verse 4, were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, there are three major ways that this is interpreted. And I'm going to give you those three, okay? There is the traditional, sometimes it's called the supernatural interpretation. There is the dynastic interpretation. People will say, well, when it says sons of God there, it's actually talking about these really powerful leaders. You know, these leaders that were like, they were like the world's kings or the world's presidents at the time. That's really what it's talking about. I, I like to ask this. So when world leaders have children, they become giants? It doesn't, I'm not seeing it. No. I mean, you know, Trump's not, you know, Trump's not nine foot six, right? And neither is his children. Uh, and then there's the Sethite interpretation. This is the one that MacArthur likes, but he's wrong. I just, I can't imagine. It's hard for me to even get those words to come out. MacArthur is, I don't agree with him. He's probably one of the greatest theologians on earth today. Uh, they were godly descendants of Seth. Here's how the interpretation goes. Well, this actually is talking about the godly line of Seth. And then they started intermarrying with the ungodly. And then that, that's the, the ungodly, you know, wicked descendants of Cain. And, and that's what this is actually talking. This, this is not talking about that. It's not talking about that. That's after the flood. So that doesn't even make sense to me. Um, there is no, this phrase, sons of God, verse uh, three or verse four here, I'm sorry. The phrase sons of God is used four other times in the Old Testament. And it always means an angel. Always. By the way, the traditional interpretation, or sometimes it's called the supernatural interpretation of that verse, was the only interpretation until at least mid-second century. It, it really didn't, the dynastic, the other, the non-supernatural interpretations of this verse did not get popular until about the 5th century. You want to know why? Do you want to know where they actually came from? They actually came from the rabbis. The rabbis in the Jewish temples, or the, um, basically, they were really having trouble in the second century and third century. They're really having trouble with this new cult that had just come out, and this new cult that had just formed was saying that God had actually come down and become a man, and had lived among us, and that the holy God of the universe, a spirit had impregnated a physical woman, and God had become flesh. You heard something like that? They did not like that. A lot of people were leaving Judaism and becoming part of that cult. 
you know, that cult we call Christianity. And so they decided to form a new, a new um, interpretation of this verse because what they were trying to assert was, well, it's impossible for a spirit to have relationship with a flesh being. So this Jesus you people talk about being God and man, like that's not even possible. I, it's hard for me to buy into an interpretation that was started to try to discredit Christianity. But it's actually one of the more um, popular ones today among especially cessationist Christians. I, I suppose if you get hardline enough cessationist, some of the miracles in the Old Testament don't sound too good to you either. But I have news for you. There are miracles in the Old Testament. And they're part of the Christian faith. And there have been some really weird supernatural things that have happened in the history of the earth. And this is one of them. Um, let me, let me tell you why. I'm going to give you, these are my, the reasons why I believe this view. Number one is the traditional view. It's basically what everybody believed in church history up until at least the second century. And actually it was more like the fifth century when it became popular. But very, very few people believed it before then. It wasn't even written about. Um, it is the most natural to the language of the text. It is also the exact same language, the exact same language, six, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 is actually found almost verbatim in the book of Enoch and a couple of other history books in the Jewish pseudo-apographa. It's also reinforced by New Testament passages. The example, for example, is Jude. Jude verse 6 says that there were angels that God actually uh, cast down and reserved in chains until judgment day. Are there fallen angels today that are not in chains, that are roaming the earth? that are inhabiting people at times. Yes, but it's not these. I would argue that the Old Testament actually teaches that there are two times when angels fell. One was in the beginning with Lucifer, right? When I say in the beginning, I don't mean before creation. I mean in Lucifer's fall, that he took roughly a third of the angels with him, as Revelation says. And the second time is here. How many fell? I don't know. But I do know this. The word Nephilim in verse 4, Nephilim actually comes from a Hebrew word that means to fall or fallen ones. Does that make sense? My argument is this. There is a time in history where a very strange thing happened. A group of rebel angels looked down and went, dude, look at those ladies. They are fine. Let's go down and have them. And they did. And God was so angry with them that he didn't just cast them out of heaven. He reserved them in chains. You won't roam with the rest. You'll be reserved in chains until the day, at the day of judgment. I don't, do I know everything about that? No. And there are a lot of um, details about this account that the Bible doesn't get into. And I think the reason is because if we knew a little more about it, I think we would be so, we are so sheep-like we would, we would be very tempted to spend our days trying to find out everything we could about that because it's fascinating and instead miss the point of Scripture. <laughs> Does that make sense? The point of Scripture is not that there were angels that fell or that there were angels that, that actually had offspring with ladies and produced giants. That's not the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture was that this pre-Diluvian, you know, before the flood, the antediluvian world was so wicked that God finally says, that's it, I'm destroying it all except for a man. But Noah found 
favor in God's eyes. Hebrew word nafal. Of course, sons of God always return, refers to this. So here's what's going on. Chapter, or verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterwards the sons of God came into the daughters of men. They bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. They were the giants. When we say giants, we don't mean they were just really well known. We mean they were large in stature. There are two of them that are very well known in the Old Testament. The one that everybody knows is Goliath, who also had some brothers. How many? They know. Four brothers. There was five of them total, right? David did not pick five stones up because just in case I miss. One, two, three, four, five. This is what I'll need. They were slain. Where were they, where were they from? You remember the town? Goliath of Gath. That's right. Gath was actually one of the places that the Old Testament says these, these races of giants, like the Anakim, right? The sons of Anak. That's what they actually say, right? That we send the spies out into the land. Why were they so scared when they came back? Hey, we saw the sons of Anak. They were huge. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. Well, that makes sense because Goliath, believe it or not, Goliath was a giant. Goliath was actually the smallest giant that we have recorded in the scriptures. And Goliath was, we don't know how tall exactly, somewhere between nine and a half and 11 feet. That's a big guy. I'm, I'm six and a half feet tall and about 315 pounds. Don't, don't tell everybody that. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to slim some of that off. But that would mean if, if I had a man who was standing next to me uh, who was 13 feet tall, like uh, Og, remember King Og of Bashan? His bed frame was at least 13 and a half feet long. He was the last of the Rephaim, which is a whole, another group of giants. If Og was standing next to me, I wouldn't go up to his hips. Now, typically when I'm in a group of people, I'm usually the biggest guy there. I would be like a grasshopper to this. If he got mad at me, he could step on me, right? So it makes sense that the Canaanites, you know, the, the children of Israel would go into the land and go, dude, there is no way we can be. They're huge, right? It would be like me going in and like there's kindergartners that come into me like, that's it. We're taking you down. Uh, it's not going to happen. No, no, you're not, right? We're going to fight you. Can you imagine that? Like my son or my daughter. Oh, we're taking you down. What? You can pick them up. I can step on you. If I fall on you, you're going to get hurt. That's basically what they saw. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, this weird, crazy event in Genesis chapter 6. Strange. It, I don't know. Did it change the genetic code? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know. Um, let's move on. The Lord saw the wickedness of man became great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. I'd say that's a pretty good description of total depravity. And the Lord regretted he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, that's a big but. I probably should word that differently. <laughs> but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Good thing that's there. 
These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. If you would, if you're a Bible marker, I am. I underline and highlight and I write notes. I know to some of you that's like almost blasphemous, but if you are one of those underliners and all that, hold on a second here. Uh, that word violent, it's actually more grammatically correct to translate it as lawlessness. You could translate it either way, but it's more grammatically correct to translate it as lawlessness. And what it's saying is this, there was a, all these people and they were lawless. They knew what God required and they were not doing it. The earth had become very lawless. Do we see that around us today? The scriptures tell us that in the, in the, the end of days when Christ returns, it'll be like the days of Noah. Well, what does that mean? I've heard people say, well, that means there's going to be giants again and there's going to be Nephilim and there's all these fallen angels again and it's going to, well, I don't, I, I doubt that. I, it's hard for me to, I think that's a stretch. This verse sums up what it was like in the days of Noah, what was it like? It was lawless. It was a people who knew what God required and decided, I don't care. I'm not going to do what God wants. That's what we see today. We have entire cultures, Western culture and civilization that owes much of its laws, its legal system, its traditions to the biblical foundations that gave it rise. And today we live in a Western society that on the one hand is plucking the fruit of being based on the Word of God and on the other hand wants to say, I don't know anything about that. We're lawless. Yeah, we live in a culture that's lawless, absolutely. Do whatever your heart desires, right? Follow your heart. It's like the Disney culture, isn't it? Like, ah, those movies are so benign. Yeah, except that they tell you to follow your heart, which is literally the number one um, commandment in the... Necromamnia, the, the satanic Bible. Do what you please. Do whatever you please. Satanism does not mean you go out there and you have this big, you know, uh, bonfire to Lucifer. Satanism is typically, there's two kinds of Satanism really, but the largest majority of it, the largest strand of Satanism is actually just a glorification of self. It's totally lawless. You do whatever your heart desires. Did we ever see uh, Israel do that? Yeah, the times of the judges. And they rebelled. What does it say they did? Each man did what was right in his own eyes. Hey, I like that. Not what was right in God's eyes. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. That's lawlessness. That's the society we see today. Okay. Um, I did skip over this, didn't I? Just so that you can see the comparison. If there is a 12-foot man, which Og would have been larger than, next to a six-foot man, which is not a small man, you would feel dwarfed, wouldn't you? You guys remember Adam Geiger? Six foot nine, like almost 400 pounds. He's a big guy, right? He's one of the few people that I've stood next to and thought, he makes me look small. Adam would look very small, right? You got a guy that's 12 feet tall and about uh, roughly 900 pounds. His weight goes up in proportion to mass, not height, right? Um, that's a big guy. Yeah. No wonder the ten spies were scared because they were looking at the natural, right? They were looking at it in the natural. In the natural, these dudes are huge. There's a whole race of people that are like this, some of them probably larger 
Some of them smaller, obviously. Goliath was smaller. <laughs> Goliath is smaller. Can you imagine this? Hey, we got a guy, he's nine and a half foot tall. It's kind of the run of the litter, but he's still a big guy. Like, it's a big guy. Yeah, he was the champion. Okay, going on to 11 here. Um, and then we'll get into this later. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was filled with violence or lawlessness. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was very corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. You ever thought, what does that mean? All flesh, even the animals? Yet God never gave a command to the animals that they could eat other animals. In fact, he didn't give a command to people that they could eat animals until after the flood. And yet we have fossil records of these animals eating each other. We know that people were eating the animals too. God did not give that command. He did not give the command that you could shed another animal's lifeblood for your own food. Yet they'd corrupted themselves. It grieved him to his heart. I'm sorry that I've made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Right? Verse 13, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. That's what the 120 years was about. Noah, i got a clock ticking. You've got 120 years. I'm going to give you a plan. Build a boat. Noah goes, I'm, I'm not a boat builder. I've never built a boat. <laughs> this is a good time to learn. Okay? You're going to need it. Right? Uh, God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Who's the them? That's why we're talking about the Nephilim. The earth is filled with violence through them, the people. Behold, I'll destroy them with all the earth. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Anybody know what gopher wood is? Don't worry, nobody else does either. We don't know. There's about five or six different trees that we think it might be talking about, but we're not sure. Hey, boys, go for wood, right? Go for wood. We're going to need wood. Go for wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're going to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50. Its height is 30. It's a big, big boat. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark on its side and make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. I've actually had a guy say to me one time, obviously the um, the measurements of the ark must be wrong. I said, what? why would you think that? Well, because it's proven, it's a proven fact. I always love when people say that. You don't understand induction. It's proven scientifically that a boat that big, the mass, the, a boat can't be that big because the mass that it would take to have sails to push it would, would put so much stress and strain on it that the wood would crack. That may be. I don't know. I said, I, I don't read where it has sails. Well, of course it has sails. Every wooden boat has sails. No, this, this wooden boat did not have sails. Didn't need to go anywhere, right? Where are you going? Floating, right? Get in the boat, float, come out of the boat. That's it. You don't have to have sails. So it very well may be that some boat, if this boat was built like a, you know, a Navy clipper from the 16th or 17th century, it would have stressed out and cracked. But it didn't need to be built that way. Basically, this is a big floating box. Why? You just got to live through this thing. You're not going on a voyage. This is not a voyage, right? Hey, we're going on a cruise. It's not that. Um, Behold, I'll bring the flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is in the breath of life under heaven. 
in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die, but I'll establish my covenant with you. But I will establish my covenant with you. This is the first time in the scriptures where we see a covenant. What was the covenant? Do what I tell you to do, you're going to live. Weird, huh? It's kind of like almost everything else that God does. Do what I tell you to do. He commands us to repent. He doesn't ask us to. And then gives us the faith to do this and you'll live. I know that's, yeah. Moving on. I'll establish my covenant with you. Basically, he's saying this. I'm going to protect you. I'll establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you'll bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing in the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that's eaten and store it up, and it will be as food for you and for them. So Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So he is getting ready. He's building the ark. It took him 120 years to build a boat. The boat was a big boat. It was wood. It wasn't quite as big as the Titanic. It was about two-thirds the size. It's a very, very large boat. Why in the world would it take you that long to build a boat that size? Well, if you were doing this with hand tools, we have no evidence that they had anything other than. Maybe they did. And your, your entire crew was basically your family, right? Can you imagine that? You come home one day, right? Y'all, y'all that are, you know, teens and young adults, you ever had this? You come home one day, your dad says, hey, we got a project. Wait, who's the we? <laughs> well, you just got drafted, right? <laughs> We've got a project. We have a project or you have a project? Well, I have a project, but I'm drafting you to help me, right? So I can just imagine. The boys come home one day, boys, we've got a project. What are we doing? Building a boat. Okay. Why are we building a boat? We don't live in the, the sea. Well, it's going to rain. It's going to rain so much, it's going to flood this place. Right. Yep. Build a boat. Actually, they had faith because they got on the boat with him. It's pretty impressive, really. They'd never seen a flood like that before. They may have never seen a flood at all before. It's possible they'd never seen rain before. I don't know. Scriptures doesn't mention it before that. It says a mist went up and watered the ground, right? Dew. All I know is this. They built a boat, and it was big. And they did it on faith. And Hebrews said, because they had faith, by that faith, they condemned the world. What does that mean? When nobody else believed, he did. When everyone else mocked and jeered, and scoffed at his faith, he still believed. And guess who came through the flood? Noah. And guess what happened to the scoffers and the mockers? They were destroyed. And guess what? It's no different today. If you're a Christian, your faith will be mocked, and it will be scoffed at, and it will be ridiculed. And yet that faith is what gives you access to Christ and heaven and eternal life. And what happens to the mockers and the scoffers? They're destroyed. That's sad, but that's true. I want to give you a few little things about 
Noah's Ark, because these are questions that I get all the time, and I think you should be able to answer some of these. The Ark was a large, large vessel. How big? We don't know for sure. Why do we not know for sure? Well, it's measured in cubits. Not exactly a standard measurement, okay? We were not using meters. Here's a question. Was the ark big enough to hold all those animals? I, I have literally had this told to me. I love this. Obviously, that cannot be true because the ark could not hold all those animals, to which I always ask, well, how big was the ark? Well, I don't know, but it wasn't big enough to hold all the animals, okay? Well, how many animals were there? Well, I don't know, but the ark wasn't big enough to hold the animals, okay? You're telling me there's a boat, and you don't know the dimensions of it, and it is not large enough to hypothetically hold an unknown number of animals, you realize logic is not the strong suit in this argument, right? This is not going to go over well. Yeah, it was definitely large enough to hold the... Actually, it was large enough to hold a lot more. It was certainly large enough to hold a lot more people. They only filled up, if you do the math, you'd only fill up about half the space. Um, how big was it? Well, 30 by 50 by 300. Problem is, that's more than a million, one and a half million cubic feet. Depending on how big the cubit is, it might be a lot larger than that. The problem is it's measured in cubits. What's a cubit? Elbow to fingertip. You will notice by looking around this room, that's not a standard measurement, is it? Some of us have longer cubits than others, right? If you're, if you're a long-armed, if you're like me and your knuckles almost drag the ground when you walk, right, you'll have a longer cubit than others, right? Pastor Ronnie does not have a long cubit. That's why I could never work out with him. When I bench press, I have to move the bar three and a half feet. He has to move it four inches. It's not fair. Okay? <laughs> I can bench press a lot more than you. That's probably true. You probably can. Uh, the fingertip to the back of the elbow, that's, it's not a standard measurement, and we find a lot of different kinds and sizes of cubits. And we don't really know which cubit was used. Um, the arc that the um, Answers in Genesis put together, they actually used the small cubit just for, hey, just, just to give you benefit of the doubt, we'll use the little one. It's still a massive boat. Uh, when I did all the calculations, I used 20 inches because that's basically right in the middle. It's an average. It's not perfect, but it's, it's an average, okay? If you use that cubit, though, it's still a massive boat. It still has plenty of room. Let's see if I can move this. Can you go to the next slide? You may have to do it for me, buddy. So how could 1.3 million known species of animals fit on the ark? Well, it's easy. They didn't. What? You telling me he didn't take everything on the ark? The Bible says he took everything. No, it actually doesn't. It says he took one of every kind in which the breath of life was in their nostrils. That leaves a lot of things out. He didn't have to take bugs. I've heard this before. This has literally been asked to me. Mockingly, not a real question, it's rhetorically. Oh, really? Where, where, you think Noah's Ark was a real thing? Yes. Oh, yeah, well, where did he put the termites at? <laughs> That's cute. Termites don't have nostrils, sir. You may have noticed if you've seen one. There is no danger of every termite on earth being wiped out even with a flood. If you'd like to see how well bugs make it through floods, I promise, go anywhere that there's been a flood. If you go to New Orleans after, you know, it floods in New Orleans like every five years, you know. Hey, well, let's build our city lower than sea level right next to the sea. Well, that's a great plan. We've got all these floods. Can't figure out why. I know. It's crazy. It's like math or something. Uh, 
But, they, you know, they have floods like every few years, you know, the levee breaks from some hurricane or something, and part of the, you know, part of the city floods, right? And it's like, oh, it's a disaster. Dude, these disasters have been happening as long as you've had this city. Like, you think this is going to, you know, go away tomorrow? I mean, kind of some poor city planning here. Nonetheless, if you go in there, you will notice one thing about the places where it floods. There are bugs everywhere. And the reason is because a lot of those bugs get into whatever's on top of the, of the water, right? When you have a flood, you don't just have water, right? I'm, this is probably not new information, right? You also have debris. You with me? Right? You have little pieces of wood and plants and other things that are floating on the very top of the water. And if you've got, if you've got that, I promise, you will have bugs. You don't have to fit them on the ark. The Bible doesn't say he took every species. Go on. I love this. Noah filled the ark with two of each animal species. That is not true. Keep going. The Bible says of each kind. I've actually been sent. This picture was sent to me. So that's why I included it on an email. So what do you think about this? How could this happen? Well, it's very serious, uh, very simple. He didn't have to take every species. He took every kind. He didn't have to take two of every dog type out there. He just had to take two of the dog kind, a couple of wolves. You with me? From that, you can get everything that we have today. He didn't have to take every single cat that was out there, just two of the cat kind. He didn't have to take every single mammal species. He didn't have to take 9,000 mammals. This is ridiculous. Of course he didn't fit this on the ark. Why? Well, number one, none of these had to go. Number two, none of these had to go. That counts a lot of things out to start with. Number three, you only had to take representations of the rest. Two, unless there were clean animals, in which case you took how many? Seven. Yeah, very good. Okay, moving on. According to their kinds, you don't have to take all the dogs. You just take a couple of these, right? You don't have to take every single cat, right? You don't have to take every horse out there. That cuts down a lot on what you take. Maybe I shouldn't have brought the termites. Yeah, newsflash, he didn't. Why? Because he's told to take those in whom the breath of life is in their nostrils. That's a big deal. And here's why that's a big deal. You don't have to take any insects. Why? They don't have nostrils. How do they breathe? Whoa, hey, hey. Can we go back? Whoa, whoa. Yeah. How do they breathe? They breathe through spiracles. See these little holes? That's how insects breathe. It's actually a very clever design. Because you don't have to have a really a res- respiratory system. You're just basically hooking the tissues up to the air, right? Which is also why you can kill insects really easily. You take a little soapy water, right? You go out to your garden and you spray it on whatever bugs you find there. And what you'll find is these guys will start, they'll move, they'll, they get kind of scared and they start scurrying. And it takes about 20 seconds and you just, they look like they're going in slow motion. And then they finally just come to a halt. And they've literally run out of ATP. Right? They, can't, they have no more energy for use. They, you've suffocated them with a little soapy water. Right? You won't, you're not in danger. If I spray you in the face with soapy water, I'm not going to watch you like, ah, he's dead. You suffocated him. Why? Well, you have a respiratory system that can pump air out and in, right? Theirs doesn't quite work that way. Not nearly so good. They don't have the breath of life in their nostrils. Okay. So you didn't have to take any bugs. Keep going. You don't have to take anything that has gills. You'll notice if it has gills, not in danger, not in danger from a flood, right? Which includes amphibians. In their life cycle, at some point, amphibians can either breathe through gills 
or they can breathe through their skin. In fact, there are some uh, species of newts and salamanders that don't need lungs or gills their entire life because they can breathe out of their skin. That's a pretty slick trick. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Go underwater, right? You at the pool, stick your hand up above the water. What are you doing? I'm just getting a breath, man. It's good. I'm all good. Right? You didn't have to take any of those. None of those had to go. No mollusks. You didn't have to take slugs or clams or snails. None of those guys went along. No termites, no ants, no bed bugs. Probably a good thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe there were some on them when they got in there. I don't know. No lice, unless it was on them. Right? None of that had to go. It's not in danger of being wiped out. Keep going. By the way, there's actually two different terms that the Bible uses for these kinds of animals. There are nephesh, and then there are others. Insects are never referred to as nefesh animals. Nefesh is actually the breath of life. It's God breathed into man the breath of life. That's nefesh. Um, there are other animals that are spoken of in that regard. There's a difference between animal life and plant life, for example, in, in the scriptures. In our science classes, we don't quite have that, do we? If you go into a science class today and you say, name the things that are living, they'll say, well, plants and bacteria and insects and people right? Because we all do cell respiration. But the Bible doesn't break it down that way. There are nephesh animals, and those are the ones that have breath of life. Those are the ones we're trying to keep from dying. The rest are not in danger. The plants are not in danger of being wiped out, right? They have seeds. Actually, some plants can reroot and probably did. Um, okay. Didn't have to take amphibians, didn't have to take insects. These are the ones you have to worry about. The breath of life in their nostrils. These are the ones that are in danger of dying. They're land-based life forms, and they can breathe only through basically their head. They're not going to be able to swim for 40 days. Actually, it's that it had to swim longer than it rained for 40 days. You ever tried to swim in the middle of a rainstorm? Me neither, because that's stupid. Don't try that. Lightning, like, who cares? Jump in. Don't do that. They're not going to make it. And so unless they go on the ark, they're going to be dead. Those are the ones he has to save. Okay. And that's abusing the privilege. Okay, let's go on. I can only see that for so long. Maximum of about 16,000 animals. And by the way, that includes dinosaurs. What do you think happened to the dinosaurs? I think the small ones, I think some of them went on the ark. Are you kidding me? I, now, when you say that, you're going to be mocked. You're, you've got to be kidding me. You think, you think Noah took the Tyrannosaurus on the ark? I don't know. Took a Tyrannosaurus of some sort. Maybe not T-Rex. They could, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. They're too, they can't fit on the, they're so big. They're too big. Obviously, they can't fit on the ark. Well, genius, you don't have to look for the biggest ones you can find, right? I mean, yeah, the big dinosaurs were big, but the small ones were little. Right? You don't have to take um, senior citizens. Reptiles and dinosaurs are basically reptiles. Reptiles grow their entire life. And when you say a big snake, you're seeing an old snake. When you say a, a big lizard, you're seeing an old lizard. But if the purpose of taking these animals was to repopulate the earth later, newsflash, senior citizens aren't the first ones you'll pick, Right? I'm pretty sure God, who sent the animals to Noah, was smart enough to know that. I'm pretty sure Noah, who had spent more than a day or two on earth, was sharp enough to catch that. Yeah, I think they were on there. They just weren't the big ones, right? Are you kidding me? They would have eaten them. 
A T-Rex that's a foot and a half tall isn't going to eat you. Okay? And by the way, at that point in time, they weren't supposed to be eating meat to start with. In the beginning, what was their food? All of them. Plants. Plants, seeds, fruits, that was their food. Yeah, but T-Rex has big, sharp teeth. Yeah, so does the black yukari, who eats only plant matter. Yeah, but big teeth means you eat meat. No, you can eat meat with big teeth, but just because you have big teeth does not mean you have to eat meat. You with me here? Those are all apologetic questions that we get as Christians because we hold that this is a historic event. And it's good to know that. And by the way, if you get into one of those debates, please let me know. I love those kinds of debates, probably more than I should. So a maximum of about 16,000 animals to fit on the ark's three decks. That's not even going to fill half the thing. There's plenty of room for others, which says something about the Lord. There was plenty of room for others. Okay. How could all those animals walk across the oceans to get to the ark? I do love this question. I, I have gotten asked this question a, a lot. I go to places and I do seminars in the summers and such, you know, on apologetics and on creation and evolution and science. I have a lot of people who have asked me that. And it makes sense, but here's the problem. What they're doing is they're looking at the map as it is today, right? Who says the map looked like that before the flood? Nobody. Before the flood, it would have been very different. And there are indications, and I believe this, there are indications that basically all the land was touching and all the water was touching you didn't have seas that were divided out from each other right because in the first chapter of genesis god says let all the waters be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear right i've heard it's called pangea before fine if you want to call it that that's fine with me but i don't think it took billions of years to break up i think it probably broke apart during the flood i think that's part of why we see fossils of different kinds of animals in regions that correspond to each other. Why did they have to walk? They had to walk across those land bridges. No, they didn't. They just walked. There was no problem there. The land was touching. No problem. Okay. Moving on. I, I got I got this meme sent to me by a friend on Facebook, so I was like, I, I just, I have to include it. The guy that thought every animal in existence was within walking distance of Noah's house probably didn't pass geography. Well, the guy that thinks the land wasn't touching at one time probably didn't pass it either. Because even in the public school, they'll teach you that. It's just, and I think it's actually good science. The time frame is obviously wrong. I don't think it took billions of years to move apart. Slow tectonic movement. Well, that's true. Typically, it's slow. But during a worldwide flood, when you have the fountains of the great deep breaking forth, probably wasn't slow. More water is in the Earth's mantle today than is on the Earth's crust. I don't know if you knew that or not. If every volcano on Earth erupted today, you would have much more uh, water vapor put into the atmosphere in just an hour than you have in the entire all the oceans and the atmosphere today. So I th- I think that's probably what happened when the flood happened. The fountains of the deep broke forth. It didn't just rain. Now, I've heard this before. Well, obviously that couldn't be right. Noah's Ark can't be right because you can't rain enough in 40 days to flood the Earth. Well, that may be true, but that's not the only source of water. The problem is we don't actually read our Bibles. We learn all these little Bible stories as we're growing up and then assume that we know the Scriptures without actually reading them, and we miss the little details that are actually very important. That may be true, 
It may be true that you could not rain enough in 40 days to flood the earth. But that wasn't the only source of water. Also, the fountains of the great deep broke forth. That gives you a lot more water. And that would certainly be enough to flood it. Actually, if you, if you leveled out the land today, you could flood it. There's plenty of rain to flood the land if the land was level. Today we have mountains, right? Mountains and valleys. And where does that come from? Well, the scriptures say in the Psalms that that came from at the end of the flood, God decided to raise up the mountains to make the valleys low so that he could rush the water off. That's kind of a small little detail that's very important to us as Christians. And you only get that from reading the word. Does that make sense? And I'm sorry to pound on that, but the truth of the matter is we don't read the word well enough. We don't read it often enough, and we don't read it carefully enough. And so a lot of times when we are asked apologetic questions, we don't have the answers. And the reason we don't have the answers is we didn't actually read the word. We just went by the story that we learned as kids. Okay. The water under the heavens be gathered together in one place, let the dry land appear. Right? So you didn't have all this breakup of continents and stuff that weren't touching. You could get everywhere. Make sense? Okay. Enough of that. I hope this has given you something to think about. I hope that it has... um, strengthened your faith i hope that it gives you answers i hope it makes you see this being a christian does not mean we don't believe in science are you with me here yeah we believe in science we simply believe that the word of god trumps everything that some guy in a white lab coat can tell us we think the word of god makes statements i've heard it said this before well the the bible is not a science textbook Well, that's true. It's not. There are a lot of areas that the Bible does not address at all. But the places that it does address, it can be trusted. It's actually more of a history book. It's the only history book you'll ever read that's perfectly accurate. Do history books make mistakes? Sure. Do they have to be updated? Yep. Do science textbooks make mistakes? Yes. Do they have to be updated? Yes. Do the scriptures err? No. That's why they don't need to be updated. Somebody tell the lady that wrote Jesus Calling. Just kidding. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know your word is true. Through and through it's true. It does not err. It does not err when it addresses history. It does not err when it addresses science. It does not err in any place. It tells us truth. And we thank you for that, Lord. We ask you give us uh, grace. Uh, Make us bold that we can stand on your truth and give an answer for those who ask. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.